Hello everyone, I am Bree Landry and this is Creative Money ATX. I have interviewed Sarah Holland. She is a painter here in Austin and I am talking to her about art markets, how to apply, what she's learned about budgeting for her art business and a lot more. In my last interview with Amanda Watucky, I split that into two parts. This interview is just one long interview, and I'm going to see how y'all like that. Feel free to send me feedback on which one you prefer. I'm very interested to see how it works out. So, enjoy. So today I'm here with Sarah Holland. She is an artist and a mother and lives just outside Austin. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And let's go for it. Okay. Tell me about your art. I know you're second generation artist, is that right? Yes. Art's just been a part of my life, my my entire life. My my dad is an artist. He went to school for graphic design in the 80s. We lived in Houston. So he was going to school at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. And I, very early on when I was a toddler, spent a lot of time in that museum. So it... It's there's no life without art, really, for me and my memory. It's always been there. And my mom is um, very artistic as well. She's always been more on the craft side. She uh, she sews a lot, but she also ended up becoming going to school for graphic design, too. Just basically, like once I was in college, she was able to kind of pursue her own interests. Yeah, I've I've just I just remember drawing and making little things out of clay and, and making my dolls their clothing. So it's, oh, I've always been a maker at the very least. So. How was it like for your mom to go back to school? Um, I think, I think it was really enriching and I, I think she really, I saw her always committing herself so much. She was a stay at home mom and she really, really, nurtured us and nurtured our creative spirits and really made sure that we just had everything we needed. And once we were independent and out of the house, that's when she kind of felt she could pursue her own things. I think I always admired her for that, but I kind of took it to heart that I wanted to be able to do that alongside children. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want there to be an either, or I wanted to pursue both motherhood and art um, from a really early age. So I think seeing her go back to school really pushed me to try to do both, try to try to be creative still as a mother, which is difficult. I really, you don't have a whole lot of time for yourself. I think that's been my main goal in the last few years as my children, they're starting to gain a bit of independence and, really become creative themselves too. So. so when people ask you what you do for a living, what, how do you answer that? I'm an artist. Definitely. Uh, it, that's only been in the last two years though. <laughs> what made you feel comfortable saying that? Uh, actually pursuing it and actively like working on it every day definitely made me feel like, yeah, that's, this is my career. Mm-hmm. It's not just a hobby anymore. Um, whereas when, when they were little, my children are, are 10 and uh, 7. So they're they're getting to that age where they can do things on their own and they, it's not constant anymore. But when they were babies, um, I really did actively put my work aside for a long time, which was difficult, but um, also like... At the same time, not. I I just felt like there was more duty in raising healthy children than um, my work as a professional artist. And I could I I kind of put art on the back burner even before having children. I went to art school for painting and photography. But Do you call yourself an artist after school? No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I went to an art school too. So yeah, I'm comp- it's interesting how that problem occurs. Like yeah. engineers start calling themselves engineers. Yeah, <laughs> and what did you go go to school? I for? went to SCAD. Okay, awesome. What was your focus? Writing, actually. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. 
Very yeah. cool. I think we have, we have the similar journal, but mine's yeah. filled with writing. And <laughs> mine's like, filled with a whole lot of yeah. scribbles. <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know if you felt the same way after college, but there was this like intense creative burnout that I just felt, felt like I could not make anymore. I just, I was sick of it. Yeah, um, making on demand. And that's that's basically like the only experience that I had with creating other than just making things in my sketchbook was that creating on demand. That was hard. That's like, that's this tiring. And that's what like my dad, my dad, uh, who was a graphic designer had a whole lot of creative burnout too, just from creating on a demand in that way too, like constantly having this flow of new clients and new material that had to be made and thought out. And I had a few small art jobs directly out of school. But my, I mean, my husband at the the time, he was my boyfriend and I were poor. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't really like pursue that very in depth. He was a chef. I worked in retail. Um, We barely even saw each other because we had these two alternate schedules and which was fine. I kind of started leaning into my creative uh, spirit, as it were, at work, though. I kind of started leaning into visual merchandising, and um, I had a job as a web manager, which is funny because I'm, I'm such an anti-computer person. I, it like doesn't make any sense for me to be a web manager slash blog person <laughs> at all. Um, but I think that helped me a lot now as like visual merchandising is, I use that in my life a lot now. And same with like all the copy writing that I had to do for their social media. I use it for my own social media now. I think it's worked out really well. I think that hiatus too from art really helped me find my own visual language there's a lot to uh, making art for yourself instead of art for clients constantly. It's that like capitalist part of art. Yeah, definitely. Which I still kind of, I'm constantly still thinking about, but in a completely different way. I don't actively seek commissions anymore because like that was, that was kind of what I was doing. I was doing like a lot of portrait art, watercolor portrait art of loved ones and pets and and then I kind of got into like a little bit of jewelry for a little while. This was when early on in my kids' lives when I had babies. During nap time, I was doing this like tiny art that I could do really quickly. And then I started doing a few little like, you know, crafts fair type shows, nothing big, just one table with a little bit of stuff and started kind of getting that creative flow again. It's really kind of taken off mostly like during the pandemic. When you and your husband were low income, was there anything looking back that would have helped you with creativity? Um, it was so very long ago. (laughs) It's really hard to, um, even think about because I don't think I ever, I never planned anything after school really, uh, with art. I didn't even, I wasn't given the tools at art school to really understand how to apply that in real life. And there's so many ways that you can apply like your, your, an arts degree to real life. And I just happened to be doing that through retail at the time because that was like the easiest way to do it. So I I kind of think that 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 helped guide my experience in in work. I ended up like kind of working my way up into like visual manager positions in bigger companies right before I I had my son. But then I quit to stay home with the kids, and I think that. I just wasn't even seeing it as an option. It really wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, and it was because of, partly because of money yeah. and uh, instability. 
I think it's hard um, to have the capacity to think like that. Yeah. Support. Yeah. But I, like, I, I really do think that it just wasn't even on, on the table for me cause I wasn't making art at the time anyway. And then once I was starting to get back into it, I did want to start to try to just like get it out there. I didn't really think about it as like a job or money. I just wanted to have my work resonate with people. I like seeing that's part of my favorite part of art in general is the way it, it can connect to people through space and time. Like the artist doesn't even have to be there standing there watching you perceive it. It, it, kind of can stand alone, but you still feel connected to that person. Yeah. It's kind of magical. Yeah, it is. It's like this like weird portal that we create that's transcendental and that's so unique and what an amazing thing that we get to like create and also experience. So that's, that was my main drive, especially through COVID was just like, I, I miss connection and art's my way of connecting and communicating with the world. So Again, like during COVID though, I still didn't really see, I didn't foresee like what I'm doing now at all. I just kind of thought like, I'll just put it out there and see what resonates. And it resonated with people, which was like a really wonderful feeling. So I just started. describe your art? Oh, my, like actually describe it, like physically. (laughs) No, 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 I like Yeah, yeah, yeah. The intuitive feelings are super important. Yeah. Well, the my my art kind of really. Um, I mean, what I'm already talking about is probably pretty apparent in my art. Uh, there's a lot of imagery of solitary f- uh, women figures in kind of desolate places, like deserts, or uh, there's a lot of space imagery. There's a lot of animal imagery now it has kind of a southwest folk art vibe to it a lot of kind of like uh symbolic references i'm obsessed with like archaeology and and just learning about human history um so there's a lot of like the symbols that are prominent throughout all of archaeological humanity are fascinating to me. So I involve those into my work too. Is there a name for the kind of styling you have? Cause it reminds me of cubism, but it's very. Tiny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've had a few people like try to tell me what it is. Cause I don't have a word for it. I've had cubist folk pop, um, which I love. There's like a lot of surrealism and deco uh, influence too. I kind of like the idea of it being something that's like futuristic folk art where there's like, there's recognition and nostalgia in it. Um, And the visual symbols that like we're all perceiving have different meaning for each of us, which again, another layer that's just fascinating to me. Um, And one of the reasons why I really like to be present when somebody is seeing my work for the first time um, because everyone has a completely different response. It's unique to them and their experience. And I think that's what kind of drove me to start really pursuing the, the vendor route to art because it's so one-on-one it's so in, in person and, uh, yeah, I just, I love that experience of... I got to see, I think it's the ocean goddess. Or- yeah, I have a lot of goddess imagery. Yeah, I liked her a lot. The the layering you do and um, her hair kind of flowing yeah. off the page. I yeah, yeah, I have, um, and I have like kind of several, des- like, separated seemingly styles, <laughs> like where... Some of them are really um, uh, very deco, very geometrical, kind of almost like mathematical. Some of them are really fluid and organic. Um, so, but I'm influenced so heavily by like so much. Like I said, like art's been my life, 
so I studied so much of it and now I'm, I'm I work on re- researching constantly still That's I fun. I love to learn new learn about new things and learn about new art forms that like maybe I've seen before but never knew anything about maybe it's brand new to me it's yeah. all in there <laughs> <laughs> What's it like being an artist and a mom Oh, it's challenging. I don't think that I would have um, pursued it as wholeheartedly if it weren't for them. Uh, I think that having children really relaxed my expectations on myself and the world really put my priorities in order, but also like opened up my imagination again. I felt like there was something about the structure of art school that sucked my imagination away from me. And I was told probably like innocuously by maybe one or two professors that uh, my work was weird or wrong and at the time as an impressionable teenager, not really knowing what I was doing, it stuck with me um, and built up rules about what art's supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be making in my head. And the coolest part about having children is that it like broke down all those rules. It's like, you can do whatever you want and be free and it's fine. Like, it might, it might not make sense to one professor that one time, but it'll make sense to someone. And that's okay. Like you'll find your people. <laughs> and now kids are good at that. They don't know the rules. Yeah, exactly. They, um, they're extremely creative too. So I've gotten to like play with them with art throughout their lives. And, um, they have their own ways of doing it and their own creative things that they pursue too, which is just wonderful to watch. And it helps me kind of curate, a creative space in our house that helps me. It really lends itself to me being creative too. It's kind of just like a feedback loop now that we just are constantly sharing ideas with each other. And it's awesome, but you know, it's challenging too. My husband uh, is, uh, he travels for work. So he's gone basically half the time. I'm on my own with them at least for a while. Now we live on a property with my parents, um, which is part of the reason why we did that in the first place, because I was alone half the time with the kids. So we needed help. My parents, they were living in Michigan at the time and didn't, I, they're out of place. They don't have any family. We don't have any family up there or they didn't. I just wanted to get them back close to home, our original home. And I think it really, it was hard doing all that because the setup of this wasn't, it was just like years in the making, but it's been really, really wonderful to have them close and have my kids have that multi-generational upbringing that I think, uh, you know, we as humans need. Mm -hmm. America is not traditionally very good at that part. no. We are like expected to be our own islands, which I think is just like the worst part about modern American culture is just like we're me- we're not meant to be independent. Like we've we've come to like think or or you know have been taught. This setup has been awesome. Um, it's really allowed me a lot more freedom and, and the kids being in school too. Like, I mean, you know, for years they were home and during that time I was not doing anything with art. So once I started getting into school, that's when I really felt like driven to start into it again. And Do you have any advice for mom artists? Uh, make time for yourself always. And I mean, like it, it it's always important. And that's something that I wish I had been told early on. It's like, I wish I had just like been sketching during nap time instead of, you know, cleaning dishes. Cause who cares about dishes? Like it's fine. They'll be there later. Like your 
self love and your self worth is important too. And you can't raise healthy children if you're not mentally healthy yourself. Yeah. You can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah, exactly. So I, I would, that's my like definite, like biggest piece of advice. Cause I know my, my situation is unique and extremely, uh, privileged, honestly. Um, so I know that like people have it way harder and don't have the advantage of having their, uh, parents close or even, you know, a spouse. But I think that even if it's like 10 minutes of just quiet reflection or, um, just making a point to sketch every day before, before bedtime or when you first wake up something, something small to just keep that stability and work it into your routine. I think that's, I wish I had been told that. (laughs) It's definitely easier said than done. And when you hear the advice, you're like, of course. Yeah. But doing it is. It is. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard. It is. It's chaos, especially in the early years. Just knowing that like, just knowing that you are valued by yourself is sometimes enough Mm -hmm. to get you through a day. That's, that's one, one piece of advice at least. So you grew up here in Austin. Yes. And then moved and then came back. Yes. What was that like seeing Austin grow like that? Uh, it's really weird. <laughs> I, I go back to my old neighborhood. I lived in North Austin. I have such a nostalgia for it because a lot of it like hasn't changed a whole lot up that way. My old neighborhood kind of feels the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that a lot. And it, like, yeah, it's changed, but like my old house is not the same. There's like, you know, mini mansions on either side. And my, my elementary school has been like basically completely renovated. And it's like, it was like a tiny little, like nothing. And now it's like three stories and has like a giant gym. It's weird, but it's also just like, it doesn't feel like it's changed a lot. You know, everything just seems smaller, <laughs> but Um, when we came, my husband and I moved down from Michigan in, I think 2009. And even then it felt, it felt quite different. Um, and now looking back on that time, it feels really different. Um, at least downtown because, which is where we were working at the time and like a shade downtown with all the skyscrapers. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was working on South Congress, um, at a little boutique and it's, it's like unrecognizable over there. It really is. But, um, there's a, what was it? What's the fancy? There's a Hermes. Oh yeah. Down there. Yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of fancy things down there that I'm like, what? And then it my doesn't mom, make any sense. My mom, when she went to high school, she went to high school at Travis. Mm-hmm. And she's like, this was basically where the prostitutes were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Leslie, Le- I, Leslie uh, used to walk by yes. our, our boutique every day and got to have some interesting conversations with Leslie a couple times. Legend. Um, yeah. Legendary. But yeah, I... I can't fault anybody for wanting to live in the place that I wanted to live. I That is true. Yeah. I love it here and I get it. I understand why everybody loves it here. Wish they just didn't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like don't tell everybody. Just mm-hmm. calm down. <laughs> yeah, part of the reason, I mean, I, we lived in Houston for about 10 years and that was a suburb experience and I I just did not fit in there. I'm like solidly a weirdo. And I was trying to fit into a place that like, isn't all that weird. Like a lot of cookie cutter. Yeah. yeah. And we'd always come back to Austin. We'd visit friends who lived here and we're just like, why don't we live here? Like what? I'm so much more relaxed when I'm here. <laughs> Let's see when we decided to move from Houston, uh, right after Harvey. I mean, on top of not really loving, the area, uh, experiencing Harvey really convinced us like Houston's not for us. I don't feel like dealing with that, um, anymore. Plus it just floods there all the time. Like not just for 
hurricanes, but it's all the concrete. Yeah. It's just, you just wait, a, wait an hour for all the water to go away whenever it rains. We decided to try to find something possibly in Austin, but we kind of knew that we weren't going to be able to afford that. And as we started looking, we were like, okay, let's try to get further out. Um, we started looking at Bastrop. Uh, and then we were, we decided that we were looking for something really specific. My parents wanted to uh, go in on the property with us and find something that we could put two houses on or just multiple buildings. And so we found something in Cedar Creek, which is a great location because it's really close to the airport. And with my husband flying in and out, uh, that was really kind of integral to where we were trying to find, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't go on the West side because our commute to the airport would be like an hour and a half at least, mm-hmm. depending on where you are. Um, so we got this five acre property out in Cedar Creek. We have, uh, we bought it with one single wide on it and my parents moved into an RV in our front yard and we started renovating that and, clearing the land. My, my husband used it as an excuse to buy his first tractor and now he's a tractor man and (laughs) not something that we could have ever foreseen ever, but I'm sure that had an interesting side effect. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Well, we, I mean like we, we, uh, we did it to really have the family together. We wanted, we wanted, um, a nice large plot where we both felt like we had our own space. So we're not right on top of each other and the possibility of, you know, future growth to siblings or my in-laws or friends need a place to stay. Like we would have space for them and feel like we could, you know, support our own lifestyle with the others that we love. And uh, it's really starting to take its real shape now Um, so now we have, it's, we, we cleared the whole property. It became very like park, like it's very peaceful. We back up to five cow or three cow pastures. There's just like tons of wildlife. It's really escapees. Uh, once. Yeah. yeah, We have, (laughs) we've had a couple of cows, (laughs) cow visitors in the night. And, uh, now we have my grandfather living on the property in an RV, two of our friends in another RV broke ground, and now it's like almost a full building um, on a new space and it's going to be a studio. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same footprint as our house, but just a big metal barn essentially right now with the plan of like making that into like a possible living space or multiple studios. Um, we're not like set in concrete exactly of, what it's going to be, but we just knew we needed space because my studio is in my house and it's a 12 by 12 like nightmare right now. Cause it's just like piled up with all kinds of things that I just like from all the shows, I have a lot of prints and uh, paintings that can't be stored out, out in our outbuildings. We have like barns and sheds and things and uh, they need to be in air conditioned space. So that's like, First step, storage. Yeah. You said your husband went to school with you. What did he study? He did not go to school with me. We met um, in the same college town. He, uh, he studied, he's creative too. He studied, he was like kind of going for film and then kind of going for math. And he ended up, when we moved, we ended up uh, kind of putting school on hold for him. He wanted to get back into it, but ended up getting a a job. Is he going to use the creative space? Yeah, I think he is. I think he's kind of like, he's definitely creative, but in a different way than me. I think he doesn't like, he wants to pursue something new and probably three dimensional. I'm not really sure what yet, but he's really like fascinated by sculpture and like welding, but even possibly jewelry. So I'm hoping that this will kind of like, pique his interests more into it too, like have this space that cultivates his creative side and others too. I mean, we have lots of friends who need space, so that's a possibility in the future. He's just mostly my 
biggest cheerleader. Like he, he's so supportive and helps me with a lot of the back end stuff of the business. He kind of helps me keep track of, um, like vending opportunities shows, uh, that are coming up. And like with those, you have to remember like, okay, that one's in December, but we have to think about applying for it now, you know? So he has a whole spreadsheet that, Oh my God, I hate (laughs) spreadsheets so much. I am not a spreadsheet girl. I, again, computers, I can't, my brain goes numb anytime I'm sitting at one. So he does a lot of that stuff. He's able to, he has enough um, downtime at work that he like can help me kind of keep organized. And um, he helps me with a lot of the like tax stuff and the, the budgeting stuff. Um, and we, I mean, going back in time to when we first had kids, we got on um, a program called You Need a Budget, which is a spreadsheet. <laughs> it's basically a fancy spreadsheet. It's pretty popular. Yeah, it is. And I love it. Um, it. I think that it really helped us to understand what our expenses were, where most of our money was going. See it all written out in like fine detail like that helps you prioritize and helps you focus energy in the right places. And I mean, I highly recommend that for any, anybody, much less an artist, because if you don't know like how much you are making at each show, how much you are spending on all of your materials and like investing into your business versus what your profits are, it's just going to be really hard to keep track of and, and know what your goals are. Mm -hmm. Let's actually break that down a little bit. So you were talking about shows and everything and keeping that organized. What's it like to apply to a show? Um, applying to shows, uh, all depends on the show itself. Um, some of them are extremely organized, but honestly, like I've never applied to two shows that were exactly the same application process. I never know exactly how complicated it's going to be until I'm doing it. So when I do it, I try to do a few all at once just so like I'll have all my information laid out. Um, most bigger shows will ask for, um, examples of your work or like examples of your merchandise. If you have merchandise, like for, for me, I have, um, stickers and prints and jewelry, sometimes tote bags, sometimes t-shirts. So I kind of have a little bit of everything, but then I also include mostly my art because it's like the imagery that like makes it unique. And sometimes they'll ask for an artist statement. Not always. Sometimes they'll ask for what other shows you've done, or if it's your first show that you're applying to, they sometimes have an application fee. They almost always have a booth fee, unless you happen to find a free event that you don't have to pay to be in, but that's like super rare. Is it a percentage or? Um, Typically. So like, again, it's, it's different every single time. Booths tend to be, you pay a booth fee up front and what you're paying for is the space and maybe whatever their advertising is. You are responsible for filling that space. So like bringing your tent and all of your, your merchandise, but whatever your merchandise goes on to. Like for indoor events, there I've done a few indoor events where it's just one table. Usually they'll tell you exactly how much space you have. Not always. I've shown up and had like half as much space as I thought I was going to have. The communication for these things is all over the place, always. Some people are extremely organized. Some people you won't hear from until a day before or maybe never. Like it kind of just depends. So you... You as an artist and a person ap- applying to these things kind of never know and just have to be flexible. Who are the people that are hosting? Um, it depends um, on the event. A lot of times like bigger ones are put on by s- the city uh, or just like an organizer uh, working through like an event company. Um, I've worked some that are just like very small operations, like three or four people putting small parking lot shows together. A lot of those I like to apply to those small ones. Usually I'm finding them on Instagram 
and I look at their past events, uh, which is super important. And even maybe go to a couple of events to see uh, what the clientele is like, who, how many people are there and who you'd be selling alongside of just to kind of like understand would I fit in here? Um, because there, there is a bit of that. Like I, I probably wouldn't want to vend at say the Houston rodeo, Mm -hmm. you know, but I would definitely want to vend at say a witch's market, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I know a few of those. So, yeah. So you kind of like feel out your, your, I guess, target audience, um, through attending the events, the bigger ones tend to be more organized. I just did a main street arts fair, uh, up in Fort Worth. And that was the most organized that I've ever participated in or been to. It was, but granted it's huge. So they kind of have to be organized. Otherwise it would just be absolute chaos. How far have you traveled for shows? I've done one in um, Michigan. Uh, That's the farthest I've gone. I did that first time last summer and we went with absolutely everything that I had and we were going up there for a, a while. So I had to pack all of my clothes and my kids clothes and my kids also had to bring the kids into our minivan. So like I'm getting really good at Tetris. Like I can pack, I can pack that thing so well now. That was a really great one. Another example of a really good organized one. They had like wonderful volunteers that, um, helped out, but I've also been to big ones that like you basically don't ever see anyone working the festival (laughs) in any like official way. I, I don't know. It's you, you really just have to be pretty independent and, and flexible, uh, when working these things, just like, Cause it, a lot, a lot can change really quickly with them. And how do you price your pieces for markets like that? Um, pricing was a little, it, it's always tricky. Uh, changes a lot still, even early on, I was pricing everything real low cause I just wanted to move things and make money and to invest, invest it right back into the company. Basically like starting to like just build a portfolio of things that I could sell, you know, more easily like prints. I priced everything basically under 200 for a really long time because my work is small, first of all. And I was mostly doing drawings at the time and then kind of scaled up to small paintings. And somebody gave me like this, this rule of thumb once. And I can't, I can't even remember where it was, but like basically $200 a square foot is a good place to like start. Um, and just kind of go from there. It can, it can kind of waver, like depending on how simple or how, how complex your work is, but it kind of depends on like, you know, like your audience too, and the demand early on, if you don't have a demand, stuff's not going to move and you're just not going to be profitable. So you do just have to like, you know, bite the bullet and sell things for way less than you think that they should be selling. It's just a fact. And also just notice what people are liking. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, like feeds into, okay, people are responding that one, but maybe they don't have $200, but they might have $20 for print. So I started like really launching into prints. I'm very, very print heavy. um, I started early on with just prints of my small drawings at five by sevens um, that I sell for, you know, $12 a piece, two for 20, you know, like getting that retail spirit in there. (laughs) Um, And then I, I'm, I love stickers too. So I like, I'm, a little sticker heavy as well. Got a lot of like merchy things, but that kind of fed into just doing more of these shows. My first year that I was doing shows, it was just after COVID. And I just, I did one like every other weekend for basically a year. Just. That sounds like very overwhelming. It was tough. like it's a hustle and it really isn't super fun doing it that way. Do you have time to make stuff? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, when do you have time to do anything? Also, you have children. Like, what is your problem? <laughs> I I was doing small things. So, like, and you're not selling your bigger work or the more pricey originals at every show. Shows like that, you're maybe, like, it's a good show if you sell one, you know? Um, but also, like stickers and prints like hey they've carried several of my shows you know carry a lot of people yeah yeah so and that's awesome i i fully believe that everyone on any budget deserves to have the art that they love so to have a five dollar sticker that you can like really enjoy for some people that's all the art that they're ever going to consume and that's okay i want that for you know the people who my art resonates with. So like I've always had it in my brain to have as many price points as possible, like filled these, these niches that, um, maybe not everybody fills. A lot of people have really large, beautiful art. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I would love to consume that art. I would love to buy a $3,000 piece, but I can't. So I'll buy a print instead, or I'll buy all your stickers. You know, <laughs> that way everybody like really gets to enjoy the thing that like you're making to have seen. Like that's kind of the point is for art to be consumed. If you made it in a vacuum and nobody ever saw it, then it's just masturbation, you know. So getting it out there really um, in any way, shape, or form. It's really important to me as I did. I kind of built up my repertoire of, of all the parking lot shows that I was doing. I kind of started like, okay, I got to dial the, this back a little bit so that I can focus on this bigger show that I have coming up. So bigger shows, those are the ones that are a little bit more profitable. You sell more originals and sometimes like if it's a really good day, you sell out of a lot of things you don't have anything left for the next show that's after it. So you kind of have to like space it out to where you can play catch up for the last one. So um, it's kind of like a juggling game. You kind of just have to feel that out. Like how many shows can I afford to do, you know, cause that's another thing. Like it's not cheap to do shows. Some booth fees are, you know, a thousand dollars. Some, and some are, you know, 50. So you kind of just, like you kind of have to, that's what I'm talking about, about budget. You do have to know those numbers to understand what you need going forward and to make your goals in the next few, at least months. When you were first doing the budgeting, what stood out to you? Like where was the money going? Um, a lot. I mean, like I wasn't profitable for the first year. Um, everything went right back into the, but I, I, like I started from scratch. I mean, I didn't have a, a tent. I didn't have any way to hang anything on my tent. There was a lot of investing into all of the physical things that I needed, but also some of the, like the branding things that I needed to, I needed like doing these shows. You, I, I wanted to make it look cohesive. So signage was one of the priorities, but that didn't come until I decided one of my shows, I was like, okay, I did really well. So like 500 from the show is going to go into just signage and just business cards or what you, mm-hmm. all the little things that you kind of, you want to remain consistent. Then like second year, it really became, it really took off and became more profitable. But I mean like materials too, just materials cost in the actual art itself is super high. What kind of materials are you using? I use acrylic paint on wood and I use uh, these wood panels that are pre-made basically like canvases except with wood instead of canvas. And I, I mean, it's just, that's expensive. Those are expensive things. I just, I finally kind of honed in on like what exactly it is I'm doing with my work in the early times though. I, was still kind of being experimental and making mistakes and not really knowing what direction I was going in. I think all artists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, you know, it's all a learning process. And um, I think that 
I've, I've gotten to the point where I, I know exactly what I need now for the things that I do. It's just about now for me, it's about scaling up everything that I was doing was so small, which is great for shows because it's transportable. This last show that I did, I had four larger pieces that don't fit into the boxes that I usually travel with. And it was a nightmare. Like, I don't feel like doing that. So like, I'm still going to do those smaller pieces for the shows, but, um, those bigger pieces I'm aiming to have like more of a gallery presence with those. Cause it just doesn't make sense to transport them. Like it's so easy to damage, but again, learning experience. Like I, I just, I didn't really know that until I did it. And I see other people, you know, traveling around with large paintings and like, that's great for them. I'm, that's not for me. <laughs> you know? Everyone has their limits. Yeah. That was mine. Could you walk me through, you said the first year you didn't make a profit after that. What did the money look like? Um, well, okay. So the last year was basically the first year that I was like heavily committed to it and really started getting into bigger shows. So I made 42 K last year. I profited 24 K. So about half went back into my business. That's with booth fees. That's with all the material costs. That's with, you know, gas and lodging for shows out of town. That's for, you know, all of these expenses that kind of, they really add up. It's just kind of, it's important to see it on paper. And now I like, okay, my goal this year is to, uh, dial back on like really investing heavily into some of those things that I've already had, had established and really focusing on trying to like get into the bigger shows that count instead of, cause like there's a huge difference between a show that you prepare for, for months, but you make 15 K in a weekend instead of a bunch of little bitty shows that are almost distractions that you make, you know, a thousand dollars each at five of them. It took a little time to get there. (laughs) It's applying to those shows. You never know if you're going to get in. So the, the, the backup plan is always to just like apply to smaller shows, you know, but if you get into that big one, that's, those are the ones that really count, but they take a lot of investment too. Are there other venues other than shows that you can sneak into or have them show your stuff? Um, I mean, I, like galleries are always a, an option places. Like there's so many places around town in Austin that just like to support blue genie art bazaar yeah. is another one that is really, really supportive of artists. But again, it's like some of these things are kind of hard to get into because there are a lot of artists. There's a lot of demand. I would like it for any artist who uh, is interested in kind of like help, I would definitely recommend uh, Almost Real Things. They're an awesome collective that are just dedicated to arts in the community and specifically like face-to-face helping artists, trying to find, you know, ways for them to network and ways for them to meet other artists in the community. Have you used them before? Oh yeah. Yeah. I really, I would say that like a lot of my success is because of them. Honestly, I did several shows with them. They're just so supportive of everyone who comes into contact with them. They're just wonderful people. Natalie and Zach, they're really great. Shout out. (laughs) (laughs) I would highly recommend, especially young artists reaching out to them or just even going to any of their events. They what have was the name again? Uh, almost Real Things. They're art, Almost Real Things magazine. They have a little, I think it's quarterly magazine. COVID kind of threw them off, but they've been around for quite a while. And they're really, they're just wonderful. Highly recommend. So I, I would say that like getting in with that community probably like inspired me most to really see that this is, this is real. This is a potential. I can be an artist. I can have this as my career because I saw so many other artists who were doing what I 
wanted to do like as I was realizing it in real time you know (laughs) oh this is what I want to do I like this so what money obstacles I don't know overcome that you would be able to help someone with maybe Oh, I would say, I mean, like I probably touched on some of them. Like the main, the main thing is just making sure that you're budgeting and keeping track of what your expenses are versus what you, what you're actually taking in. Um, Do you have any other software tools or anything you use? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Any computer stuff. It's just, you need a budget was the only thing that really helped us. Um, just keep on track it and it's like you know a family thing like we all we can all look at it all at once we know like how much money is everywhere and where it's all going at any given point and we can look back years and years i mean we've been using it for over a decade now and we can look back for so long and be able to see like compare and contrast but yeah i'd also just recommend like I mean, if you're, if you're like on my path of like being a vendor, getting really good at merchandising, like making your space look really good because that helps so much more than I think people realize having a curated space instead of just stuff on a table or stuff on a wall really helps kind of with branding, uh, like quite a bit, like you're creating an experience for a person, not just like here's a thing I made, take it or leave it, you know? <laughs> but like having that attitude of taking your work seriously really helps people take it seriously too. Yeah. I think when I think of kind of the sparseness of when you go to a farmer's market mm-hmm. and all of the people who are selling meat, mm-hmm. it's super like nothing's there and they just have coolers. And I'm like, yeah. why would I want to buy meat yeah. from you? I that know. looks, that looks really <laughs> suspect. I don't know if I want shrimp from a cooler in the back of your truck. (laughs) Exactly. But that's kind of the same vibe. Like, you know, like if you look like you do not care about your work, people will see it and not respond. I think that's like one of the biggest things is really trying to work on, you know, not just having things for sale, but curating your space and having it be like visually understood kind of in a glance, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It sounds like the retail job kind of paid off a little bit. It really did. Yeah. It really did. I don't, I don't think that I realized how much it did until just like this year is like, Oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing visual merchandising. <laughs> I've been so focused on that. It's part, it's just part of it mm-hmm. for me that I, I don't think it ever like occurred to me that it's like unique or something that I'm doing differently. Yeah. Do you have any, I have a few like rapid fire questions, but before then, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, I don't think so. I feel like I just like rambled for a while. I think so. I'm doing my job well. If okay. I'm not the one talking. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good questions. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I just talk a lot. <laughs> I mean, those are the greatest people to have on a podcast. Yeah. So rapid fire questions. Uh, what's on your bedside table right now? Uh, a picture of a ballerina that my daughter drew for me. What'd she draw it in? Uh, just marker. Mm-hmm. And she drew it like a year ago and it's literally just been there for. What like, color is it? It's pink. It's, it's oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now it would be black. She's really into uh, Wednesday. Right oh, now, so. that is a good show. I don't like Tim Burton very much, but this one. I, I do. So she's getting it honestly, but. Which artist has your eye right now? Ooh, right now. I just got a book about Leonora Carrington and her tarot deck. She was a surrealist from kind of the 1930s, 40s. I'm going to look her up. Oh, she's so good. She's so cool and weird. I've always loved surrealism, but I never learned about her because, you know, women didn't exist before 1970. (laughs) Um, Oh, this has like some... Dolly stuff. Yeah, too. very, very much so. She she's right, like contemporary of Dolly. <sighs> she's so weird. I just love her. She just like strange. I like all the weird floating things. I'm kind of like really leaning into like a whole lot of 
fish or a bird. <laughs> no one human. knows. It's so it's so mythological. Yeah. Like I, it's very dreamlike. Obviously, that's all right in my wheelhouse. So yeah, that's cool. I haven't seen this before. Yeah, she's wonderful. I'm spreading the word about her. Yeah, there needs to be more. Leonora Carrington. Yes, more awareness of just women artists in general. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. I could yeah. look at that for a while. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, she did a tarot deck, so I'm like, I'm in it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I've definitely seen people do that as a study where, cause tarot cards, it's, um, put yourself into it and make mm-hmm. your own version, but there is an outline that you work. Yeah. With. Yeah. I mean, I love prompts. I'm, I, it's kind of the illustrator in me cause I, I minored in illustration too. And I love, I really love prompts. I love the, there's like a fun thing on Instagram that I got into during COVID, which was like drawing your own style prompts. And it's just artists sharing, like, I want to see other people's interpretation of this concept, you know? And that's kind of the same as tarot decks, which I'm, I don't do anything with tarot decks, but look at the art. Like yeah. it's the best. <laughs> like, uh, PC Musgraves has her own tarot. Oh card. yeah. Yeah. yeah I they- heard about that. And there, there's one that, so I have Musgraves and I have, she's an Australian and mm. it's very graphic designy. Cool. I, I have a, I just got a Mike Wilcox too. He's kind of big on Instagram and he has like kind of like art deco aesthetic. I absolutely love that deck. It's so cool. Those are some people that I've been looking at a lot lately. That sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Where's your favorite place to eat in Austin? Oh, Uchiko. What's that one? If I like had all the money in the whole wide world, I'd go there every day. It's kind of like a sushi, fancy sushi restaurant, but they do a lot of like pickled things. They also have other things other than sushi. They're so good. They're just so good. That's definitely one of my favorites. I'm hungry. (laughs) Me too. I don't know if the audio has been picking up my stomach growling. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, thanks, Sarah. This was yeah. really great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Thank it was you. It's nice for having talking me. to like an OG tonight. Yeah, no kidding. We're unicorns. <laughs> well, I like to tell people when I get that it's like we all know each other. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're best friends now because yeah, we exactly. grew up here. <laughs> I'm glad we moved to Michigan when we did, because Michigan was really wonderful and had a great arts program at the high school. So. Oh. I really, yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. Mm-hmm. Like full dark room and, uh, like jewelry studio. And it was, it was awesome. I'm jealous. Like I really, yeah, I, I should have, I, I did take advantage of it. I was about to say I should have, but I did. Mm-hmm. I took every possible art class and like made up some while I was there. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, let's go get food. Yeah. Let's go <laughs> okay. eat. I'm starving. That was my interview with Sarah Holland. I hope you enjoyed it. There are things I am still working on with this podcast thing. And uh, thank you for getting to the end. When I stop thanking you, it probably means I'm feeling more confident. So we will get there. (laughs) A few things that I kind of found surprising that would be hard is I... I'm a very soft speaker, which I knew that, but I'm more soft-spoken when I am interviewing a guest as opposed to like right now when it's just me and a microphone and my dog. So working on that. Um, The other thing I'm working on is there was some questions that I want to keep to be kind of standard and I assumed I knew the answers and didn't ask Sarah, but I asked her after the interview And, uh, I was wrong. I assumed wrong. So don't do that. And I won't do that in the future, but I want to ask artists consistently about healthcare and investing. And I'm pretty confident. I'm not going to have a lot of variety on those answers, but I think they're very important to ask to give listeners a realistic view of artists limitations and how the reasons why we need to support them and why like cities and stuff need to support them too. So healthcare, Sarah and her husband get healthcare from a health share. So 
I assumed that she had gotten it from her husband's company, but he is a contractor. And that is a pretty common problem with contractors is they are not entitled to health care, even if they have two kids and a family. So learned that. And then investing, they have, or Sarah at least, has not invested And I think it's still important to ask that question because retirement for an artist, I don't want to say impossible, but definitely would be more interesting if they don't invest in more challenging. And I don't want that. I want artists to thrive and not have to work their entire life. So I will make sure to consistently ask those like my original plan. I wish I had asked Sarah more about uh, the communication that her and her husband have done with money and her company. Money is a very hot topic for most relationships, and it sounds like they're doing a really good job with it. So learning more about how they got there and what advice they could give to other people would have been a good topic for me to bring up. I plan on having other artists and even artist couples on this podcast. So the topic will be explored at some point. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please share with your friends, subscribe, leave a review, throw some stars on that review. And thanks for listening to Creative Money ATX.